Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Die hard. That is a term used to describe someone who is incredibly devoted and loyal to a certain cause or group. It is often used to describe those who are willing to go above and beyond in order to protect and serve the interests of their cause. They are often seen as being unyielding in their dedication and commitment, always striving for the best possible outcome. They often put themselves at risk in order to achieve their goals, no matter how challenging they may be. Diehards are an integral part of any successful organization or movement, providing the strength and determination needed for success. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, You can submit those to any of the hosts by visiting americaoutloud.com forward slash nurses out loud. From there, you can select the name of the nurse you'd like to direct it to from our drop down menu. We'd love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. When we talk about diehards, I can't help but think about Carolyn Blakeman. Known to most by Cece, she is a political blogger, artist, and researcher. She is the media director and legal liaison for the former Feds Group Freedom Foundation. Carolyn has always been passionate about politics and the direction of our country. She believes in keeping power with the people and keeping our government limited in its role in our lives. She is a firm believer in individual freedom and the principles laid out in the Constitution. She also believes in the sanctity of life and the importance of keeping government out of our personal decisions, especially when it relates to healthcare. The mission of the former Feds Group is to save lives and the COVID-19 pandemic push back against the World Economic Forum and see that justice is served for the crimes against humanity being committed around the globe. As of September 12, 2021, they expanded their mission to include the wide range of issues surrounding the current COVID-19 pandemic. It is their view that the threat posed to the United States due to the COVID-19 falls squarely within the purview of their original mission and its component objectives. To fight for individual liberty, root out corruption embedded in our institutions, and to promote safety for people worldwide. They stand strongly for holding those individuals responsible for creating and enabling the human suffering caused by the bioweapons unleashed upon us accountable for their actions. They actively strive to help our country recover from the damage incurred during this unprecedented time in our collective history by working to reinstate a sense of safety and stability. 
they stand resolute and will be a dedicated opposition until this inhumane and un-American agenda is defeated. Cece, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I, I feel like it's long overdue, right? Right. Well, I know we've known each other a while. <laughs> I know. So yeah, we, we met what a little about a little over a year ago now, I guess it's been. Uh, we met in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. We were there speaking at Grace Shara's uh, Memorial Rally. And I know for me, I, I felt the connection with you just instantaneously. Oh, and, definitely. You know, I was so impressed by everything that, you know, you and the former Feds group were taking on. And it seems like the list of things that you do take on just really only continues to grow. Um, but before we, we dig in, and we want to dig into all of these projects that you're working on, um, but before we dig into all of that, can just tell me and our listeners just a little bit about how, how you found your way into this fight. Um, well, it's a little bit of a sad story. Um, in 1995, I had a daughter and she was killed. And the grief almost did me in. Uh, I almost didn't come back from that. And it took me years and years and years to get my life back. And when I did, um, I realized that volunteering and helping others helped me heal. So when the COVID pandemic, and I started a blog in 2016, and to mention that, um, and mainly blogging on government corruption. So when the 2020 pandemic was was announced, I literally threw myself obsessively into research because I was panicked to think about losing someone else I loved. I could not go through that grief again. And, you know, they, the media had us so scared, you know, the refrigerated trucks and the, and the death ticker on the television, making you feel like everyone's going to die from this virus. And so I was determined to find a way to save my my family and my friends and the people I love and myself. So I started just really, really researching and I started studying the protocols from different countries across the world. And what I found very soon is there was working treatments. And for some reason, those were being, um, you know, given misinformation about or being slandered like the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine. And so I went to Mexico and I bought up all the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine I could find and made my family little packets with the, the vitamins, the, the medications in case they, they got COVID. They all thought it was crazy, of course, just, you know, on one of my rabbit holes. But I knew in my heart that this worked. I'd seen it working in other countries. And they're, they're making such a, a concerted effort to demonize these, these drugs that have been around for 40 years that I knew that it's just something wasn't right. So um, sure enough, my husband and I catch COVID in November, 2020, and we immediately take one hydroxychloroquine and one ivermectin and we had COVID symptoms for three hours. And wow. that was the moment I went, Oh my God, they're killing people. Yeah. Um, I had written a blog in September of 2020 called why the rejection of ivermectin and another one called HCQ, not for you. And somehow those one of those blogs found its way up to New Jersey. I'm in Texas into the hands of a former federal prosecutor of 21 years that had gotten out of government because of the corruption and was fighting against it now. And at the time um, he got my blog, he was suing Facebook for censorship of early treatments. And so he contacted me because I was getting censored, you know, left and right. Everything I was posting about those drugs were getting taken down. I was living in Facebook jail. Um, 
So he contacted me and said, do you want to be on my research committee on a Zoom call with people from all over the world discussing this censorship case? And I said, absolutely. Then we started a, um, a group on Facebook called the, the People's Medicine, which kept getting taken down. And we were just having a really hard time getting this information out to people to help save their lives. There, I knew there wasn't, you know, these people didn't need to die. This was a treatable virus. If you caught it early or if, or if you did prevention, like the FLCCC's um, prevention protocols, but people weren't getting the information and they were so brainwashed from the media that, you know, people were dying left and right. So um, I, we, we, we discussed that that suit for a while. And then he asked me if I wanted to volunteer with his foundation. Now this foundation has been around since 2016 and they did mostly humanitarian projects around the world. But when the COVID pandemic was leashed up on us, he said, I'm turning this entire focus of this foundation to fighting these crimes against humanity because that's what they are. Um, for with the vaccine mandates, the dangerous jabs, the COVID protocols in the hospitals, just everything that shutdowns, everything that was related to um, the response to the COVID response, we knew there was something wrong with. So I came on just as a content writer. And within a month, <laughs> I kind of took over. It's kind of my nature. Um, he uh, ended up pick, you know, later on a little bit, he picked up January 6th clients that were in solitary confinement for years because they didn't take the vaccine. And so they were, it was like North Korea style prison. I mean, they wouldn't cut his hair, his nails, wouldn't let him see his wife, total solitary, barely fed him all because he wouldn't take the jab. Now, if he would have taken it, he could have been in, you know, regular population with the other people, but it was just very, very cruel and, and unconstitutional and American. So um, I I started taking over. We started all those projects. Our first one was the COVID-19 Humanity Memory Betrayal Project. And it's kind of taken off from there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I see when you say like you kind of took over. When I when I think about the former Feds group, I I really just think about Cece. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like you're definitely um, the face, and I know that you do so much with this organization, and you are just, you work so tirelessly, Cece, and I'm just, I'm so thankful for all of the work that you do, um, and you help so many people. So let's talk about one of the main focuses of former Feds Group is that project, the COVID-19 Humanity Betrayal, uh, Humanity Betrayal Memory Project, or a CHBMP, and what that is, it's a large, uh, it's a searchable database documenting you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of victim stories. And, and this project in particular is very close to my heart because, you know, as an ICU nurse who worked throughout the pandemic and who felt just helpless as I watched so many of my patients needlessly die, you know, to the point that I had to eventually walk away from bedside nursing entirely. Um, so it's important for me to see and be a part of bringing these people to justice in these crimes against humanity. You know, the dead cannot speak for themselves. So all of us are coming together and we're speaking for them. So tell me a little bit more about this project, CHBMP. Well, we started it. We we, we knew that we had to document all these lives lost and get them on the record. We weren't exactly sure in the very beginning why. We just knew we needed to preserve the historical record. We need to remember what happened to these people so we can never let it happen again. And we, we just knew that we needed to get all these stories documented because they're going to probably come in and try to wipe all the history of what's happened here. And 
these people need to be honored because they paid the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, I feel like it's it's a war that we're in and, you know, they're victims of this war. But so we started documenting them by having them fill out a form with the basic case um, details and a written account of what happened. And then we would do a recorded live interview with them to get a live testimony, either from the victim if they survived, which is not very many, or the the um, victim's family member, the, usually the widow, the wife or the or the child of you know a parent died yeah. or the husband if the wife died. Um and we would do the recorded interview and just say, what happened? Tell us what, exactly what happened. What do you remember? So we, then we made, it, it evolved and became the COVID-19 Humanity Betrayal Memory Project. And we, we made it where we, we have folders on our website with all these stories. We're up to 700 cases now. Wow. Um, every one of them has a recorded live testimony in it. All the case facts, the hospital, how they were treated, the medications that were given, the written account of the story. The, um, whether they were um, ventilated or not, whether they were fed, given hydration, just every bit of what happened. And drug, if you're looking to see if someone got a certain drug, and what we're finding is most of the EUA drugs is what killed everybody and the high doses of, of narcotics. You know, patients were telling them, I'm not in pain. I don't want morphine or fentanyl. And they would push it on them anyway. They would rush them to be put on a ventilator, even though we know that they're not coming off a ventilator nine times out of 10. Um, but, you know, the, the hospitals are highly incentivized to use that certain protocol. And we've after probably the first 300, we just started seeing a very distinct trend in what was happening to patients across the country. Does it matter the age or the health of that patient or the location? And we just came up with 25 commonalities and they are true. And I'd say 99% of our cases, they all have these things. So it's definitely, you know, an orchestrated plan and um, coordinated plan, very well thought out plan to how to treat these people with them having no intention of them coming out of the hospital. Um, I believe it's a depopulation plan. And it's a control plan and it's there's certain demographics that have been more targeted than others. A lot of the, the males. Yes, and I would, I would the, agree with um, that. Special needs. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And special needs and disabled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the elderly, because I think they just think, OK, they've lived their life. We can get rid of them. They're just using up our resources. A lot of these elderly people had a lot of life left in them. You know, they're they were playing golf, the, you know, the, right before they got sick or, you know, go, came, one of them was just got back from snow skiing and, and he was 78, but he was in great shape and they killed him. And these, we, we think that these are, these people that are telling the stories are victims to a crime because they really were murdered. I mean, we've got people that were highly overdosed on fentanyl and morphine, you know, having palliative care meetings, without even a family member present, fake DNRs. I mean, the stories are horrific. I encourage your viewers to go and to chbmp.org and just watch a couple of them and you'll just be shocked about what you see. Yeah, and I mean, and these here. are things that I personally witnessed at the bedside. And for whatever reason, I find, you know, people just don't, they, I'm, I'm far from the only one. I'm not the only nurse or doctor, you know, speaking out. There are many of us speaking out. I just recently, you know, it's really sad to me, but I, I lost a, 
a friend of mine who, you know, we've been friends for over 30 years and I couldn't, I, you know, he just, he doesn't believe, I kept telling him what was happening and he, he just was very doubtful, very skeptical. And we are very like-minded. He and I are very like-minded politically, you know, but, the, and I don't want to say that. And I don't say that to say that this is a political issue because it isn't, I don't believe it's a political issue at all. I don't think there's any, um, there's any discrimination on which side of the aisle you fall on, a, you know, fall on. I think they're just killing everybody, to be honest with you. Um, but it was very disheartening that, you know, this friend of mine didn't believe anything that I was saying. Um, and he just kept saying, well, if, if all of this was happening, there would be more lawsuits. There would be, you know, more people. We would hear about it in the media. And it's like they're not understanding that our agencies are captured our media is definitely mm -hmm. captured and most of your physicians and nurses are just complicitly silent they're just they're afraid they're afraid to speak out because they they need their paycheck which personally i can't imagine putting a paycheck ahead of a human life i i can't personally imagine that but I, you know, I don't, again, I don't Me have neither. children, but I, I'd like to think that if my child were still young, that I would make the same decision. But I mean, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, we've had doctors that said, you know, if it was my child, I'd give them ivermectin. I'm personally taking ivermectin, but I can't give your loved one ivermectin because my hands are tired, tied. Right. This is not the protocol. Yeah, I don't. Sickening. And I, that's sickening to me, especially, you know, and some of the nurses, I think, and the doctors, maybe a lot of them are brainwashed and a lot yeah, of them are. do compartmentalize and they're not seeing what's happening. And I try to really give them some grace. I really do. But at this point, I think we're so far beyond grace at this point, mm -hmm. because like if you're not seeing it at this point and we're we're screaming it and we're pointing it out over and over again, it's like you won't even take a look at what's happening so at this point i just feel like you're completely complicit and it's like what and i say this often i'm like what do you think is more frightening you know is it that they would be complicit in this complete and total lie or that they don't know any better when they should and you know we leave it to all of you at home to decide which of those scenarios are more frightening right um, but it's but like you said earlier with the um the the targeted populations i saw an awful lot of really otherwise healthy males mm -hmm. in that hospital and i felt that i kept saying that over and over to my uh my nurse the nurses that i worked with i'm like this is really interesting how we are seeing it's like they're trying to take out the the men yes the war on the men protectors yep yep and and then you're left with a, a depressed single mom yeah. probably working two jobs um, that way, you know, the, the government or the schools can get more control over the children. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, this plan goes very deep and um, very spread out and more than just what looks like it all, on the surface. It's more than just killing the husband. What the, What's left behind is just a trail of destruction yeah. and instability and dysfunction you know, left with these families. I mean, it's, div it's divided families, it's divided communities, it's divided friendships. Oh, yeah. You know, you yeah. We, we see so much division, you know, across all of society, you know, whether mm -hmm. it be our work family, our blood family, our church family, there's division everywhere. Um, and, you know, we have to start, I was hopeful that more nurses would step forward and really try, start trying to heal that divide and, he and, and you know, bring, uh, close that gap. But unfortunately, I see 
so many nurses that are just, they're really buying into this, mm-hmm. um, this Kool-Aid, they're drinking the Kool-Aid and, you know, they are not, you know, practicing autonomy and informed consent. They're not putting the, those um, ethical principles of nursing foremost in their practice. And, and I have a real problem with that as a nurse. Um, and I wish more would step forward to try to make solutions. So many of them, they're like, oh, I understand that there's a lot of problems in our system, but nobody wants to believe. And I didn't want to believe it either, Cece. I didn't want to believe. I've known, I've worked in healthcare 26 years, so I've definitely known that, you know, hospital systems, these large systems have always placed profits over patients. Mm-hmm. I, I really didn't want to believe that we were systematically murdering our patients, but that is exactly what was happening. Yeah, I didn't want to believe it either, but it's, it's just too, too in your face now. And, mm-hmm. and the people that don't believe it now are just not listening or they just don't want to know. Yeah. Because there's way too many. I mean, like you were at our rally um, last month, we had 550 widows and victims there from every state in the country, including Alaska, yeah. came to San Antonio, Texas, all with their loved ones picture on their shirt and all with this exact same story. That's not a coincidence. No, exactly. You know, it's happening. It's like, how long can you, can you just keep your eyes closed? And I, I guess I can almost see, you know, I, I want to see, think of this as my, my awareness, I guess, if you will, uh, as a blessing. Sometimes I wonder if it's not a blessing and a curse, right? (laughs) You know, because it's so hard. It's so hard to see. And it's so hard to see everybody else keeping their eyes just completely shut to it. But it's almost like, you know, maybe if if you don't see it, I guess maybe you should stay, keep your eyes closed. I don't know if I had a choice to like keep my eyes closed. Would I? I don't know. I know that's a tough one, but you know, they're still doing it. They're still using the protocol. Um, they are, yes. They so are. I can't believe it. Yeah. The, the toxic, toxic drugs like remdesivir, mm-hmm. you know, they've approved it for 28 day old babies. And we know it shuts down the kidneys of a full grown adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was children are not where well, they have a 99.9% recovery rate. Yeah. 99.815% yeah. is like ridiculous. There's just no need for them to get remdesivir or these deadly gene therapy jabs. Exactly. And it's, that's, that was my hard line, CC. You know, I, I left bedside. Yeah. I started working doing the telephone triage and I was like, well, this, this will be okay. I, I was out of the hospital, so I didn't have to be surrounded by it, but I was still dealing with a lot of, you know, just kind of PTSD from everything that I had seen, but I was trying to get past that and, um, and do my work from home and, and all of that. And it, it was a good alternative for a while, but when they wanted me to recommend this not just recommend the shot for children but to say the words safe and defective period and we would absolutely have no way of knowing that right so that was my hard line in the sand where i was like you know what no i'm not doing this i am absolutely not doing this and i went full in and i haven't looked back um it's been almost two years now um since i left my my job as a nurse and have continued you know growing nurse freedom network and remnant nursing um, and just trying to really stand in the gap for for these patients that are losing their lives. And then, of course, for uh, these children that are just continually threatened by these vaccines. And I'll tell you, uh, to be honest, I didn't come into the fight anti-vax. Right. I, but I'm leaving that way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that what you're doing is so important because American people don't trust healthcare anymore. No. They don't trust doctors. They don't trust the hospitals. And the new, 
you know, concierge type nursing, I think is the probably the, the the way of the future because you can find someone that's like minded like yourself and your team and to have them, you know, know that you're in good hands and they actually want you to get better instead yeah. of rolling the dice and going into a hospital and, and not knowing who you're going to be dealing with. Cause a lot of these doctors and nurses literally despise unvaccinated people. Yes. I've, we, we've been researching some of the doctors that have murdered some of our victims and found tweets on their, you know, on their Twitter saying that, that the unvaccinated are monsters, that they all should die. You know, I mean, just horrible, horrible tweets um, and, and nurses too. And it's really, it's really sad. They've been brainwashed so bad that they think that the NVAX is the enemy when we were the smart ones for not taking the dangerous exactly. jab, which we know is killing more people than even the protocols. And we've been saying from the very beginning, you know, at Nurse Freedom Network, we've been saying this for like at least almost two years that this shot does not prevent transmission. No. So their argument was null and void from the beginning. Uh, why were they making such a big thing about this? If the shot never prevented transmission, it likely didn't even even uh, make a difference as far as uh, the the uh, symptoms. You know, everybody would say, oh, well, if I, it would have been so much worse if I hadn't have gotten the shot. Well, how would you know that? How do you know how you would have done without it? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, none of it made sense. Common sense and logic has kind of taken a backseat because of the oh fear gosh, mongering. Yeah. Yeah. If fear is a really, really strong proponent, isn't it? I mean, that is, I've seen otherwise really highly educated people and again like-minded people who have just completely lost their way they've yeah. completely lost their way and it's just so sad to witness and it's like there's no reasoning with them you could almost see you know okay you're scared i get it a lot of us are scared in the very beginning i was and, petrified yeah yeah i mean i can remember i i at the very beginning of the pandemic um actually uh, I wasn't really ever afraid of COVID personally or for myself. I always thought if I got it, actually tried to get it, took me three years to get the damn COVID, <laughs> <laughs> even though I was uh, had a suppressed immune system. But I was afraid because my husband, you know, at the time was not uh, in the best health. And I, I was afraid of getting something, bringing it home to him, and he likely would not have survived it. Right. So from the beginning of that pandemic, I actually stayed in a, a donated RV. Uh, somebody donated an RV to me um, and we had that in the driveway and I like lived in that for the first month of the pandemic because I was working in the ICU and was so frightened to bring something home to him. Um, but after I think it was about, I think it was about six weeks that that we did that and you know we both just decided we talked to one another and we decided listen um this doesn't work for us you know mm -hmm. um, what you know we're going to put our trust in the lord um and right. whatever happens happens and we, we you know if that meant that we, we just weren't going to live you know six feet apart right from each other it was it was just absolutely absurd so we uh we gave the the rv back i went home and interestingly that my my husband never got it until several months later he got it and you know, he did remarkably well um mm -hmm. for as sick as he was but you know what we put him on the ivermectin yeah he was better in about two or three days so <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it clearly works everybody all yeah. 600 people that i referred um ivermectin to have all healed in 24 hours or you know a day or two it's just unbelievable that this was kept from the american people yeah when the, and that's when I, kind of when i i really started to see that there was something 
really wrong with the situation because they were demonizing these, you know, safe and effective therapeutics that have been around mm -hmm. for decades. decades. Yeah, it won the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, and on the on the WHO's list of essential medicines. Yes, and now they're calling it horse paste and horse horse dewormer. Exactly. And seeing that, that post from, what was it, the CDC, the, or the FDI, I can't yeah. remember which one, with the, but, oh, you're not a horse, y'all. I was like, what is going yeah, on? And then lately they've backtracked that now. Oh, we didn't really say you couldn't use it or recommend. I'm like, good try. Yeah. No. Yeah. They, they completely demonized the safe and effective treatment. And they were pushing this drug that clearly was doing more harm than good. And that was my my biggest problem, you know, and, and the reason that I walked away from yep. the inside. Um, it was it was just too much to bear. Um, but yeah, these safe and effective treatments, we could have saved untold millions of lives. And if you noticed, you know, patients were not dying anywhere but in our hospitals. That's they right. They weren't dying at home. You think about our homeless population. We weren't pulling bodies off of mm -mm. the streets. You know, nope. we weren't pulling bodies from homes. And believe me, if we were, the media would have been lapping that up, let me tell you. Because people say, well, maybe people were dying. No, no. <laughs> if they were, the media would have been all over that. They okay. would. And, you know, they're saying, you know, well, COVID gives you kidney failure when it's really remdesivir. Exactly. Well, why didn't the rest of us that recovered at home have kidney failure? You know, we... It, their their argument just doesn't hold water, but they're they have the media, you know, narrating this this false narrative that's got people just so brainwashed because of fear, and that people really believe that this decade old medicine is is yeah. for horses. <laughs> I mean, even the horse horse version can work, but there there is a human version that's been used, you know, for kids with scabies or lice yep. Yep. for years and years and years. And look at Uttar Pradesh. They wiped out their pandemic in two weeks. They had their hospitals clear and no more, um, no more pandemic just from using three, a little tablet they called the Zito pack had three ivermectins in it, some um, dioxycycline and some zinc, and they completely eradicated their pandemic. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And it was a medication that even if it didn't help, it certainly wouldn't have done any harm. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7. Great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. 
Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Let's jump right back in. If you're just joining us, we've been talking with Cece Blakeman of the former Feds Group for Freedom. Cece, let's talk about some of these other initiatives that you are all spearheading uh, at the former Feds Group. You have such a long list of projects that you guys are doing, but I really, you know, just want to touch on a few of these and find out, you know, what um, what these are all about. So let's talk about. Uh, there's We the People 50. Recall the shots. Tell me about this this project. Yes, I love this new project. Um, it's we the people 50 because we're going to work with each state recall the shots because they are a product that needs to be recalled i'm working with dr jancy lindsay and the toxicologist and molecular biologist dr witcher dr mccullough um to a couple of attorneys michael hamilton brad geyer jamie shear and we are going to go through the state ag's office to get the shots recalled why? Because we have learned recently from Kevin McCarran's work that they are contaminated, they're degraded, they're adulterated, they're unreasonably da- dangerous, and you know, like we said before, they're not safe and effective. But the can- contamination is like a should be just a cut and dry recall um, issue, just like if it was contaminated baby food or contaminated dog food. We've learned they're contaminated with the plasmids that are used to make them. And what that does is it can turn your gut biome into antibiotic resistance of two major categories of antibiotics, neomycin and kinamycin. So it can also just turn your gut into a spike manufacturing factory. So there, the RNA in there is, is degraded. They're, that, that makes them very dangerous. It can make you um, have gene silencing. And so we're going to go through the consumer product protection statutes of each state and deliver the science 
and victims' testimonies and get these shots recalled because they need to come off the consumer stream. Oh, amen. I'm horrified that these products are still on the market after everything that we have seen, um, all of uh, the adverse events that we've seen. I mean, already in in just the first year alone, it was um, more adverse events and deaths reported than in in all of the the, uh, previous vaccines on the CDC schedule combined over 30 years. Yet here we are. Yeah, and the and the CDC and, and FDA they know they're contaminated and and degraded and adulterated, but they're just ignoring that, and it's it's very dangerous if you you know become resistant to two major categories of antibiotics. If you get a fungal infection and you need, yeah. you know, one of those antibiotics, you're in trouble. Um, We've so been they, seeing they, that more and more. We've been seeing yeah. that more and more the fungal infections and the bacterial infections, and all because we're destroying immune systems. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's what's happening. We are destroying immune systems. And, and this is the result of that. Well, we know the spike protein is the dangerous part of the virus. And I was talking to Dr. Lindsay the other day. I'm like, well, why would you knowingly put that in your body? You know, we know it goes to the major organs. It goes to there's your uh, ovaries and your testes. There's been a huge uptick in, in recurrent cancers and miscarriages and stillbirths. Yeah, and those lipid nanoparticles, you know, they don't stay in the arm. They, um, they, you know, are, are leaky. They go everywhere, particularly into, like you said, into the ovaries. Uh, they, they go everywhere. They certainly don't stay in the arm, and you just can't control where they go in the bodies. Um, and so that is has been concerning from the very, very beginning for for many of us. But and Dr. Warner sent me a petition the other day, the the great uh, Lester, the great Lester, yes, the declaration. I encourage everyone to sign that. Uh, about, I think it goes into about seven points about why these shots are dangerous and why they should come off the market as well. So yeah, I've been spreading that around as well. And we'll we'll include the link to that great luster declaration in our show notes as well, so that you can. I would again, just like uh, Cece does, I strongly encourage you to go uh, visit the great luster declaration, read that, and uh, put your name to it so that we can pull these dangerous and ineffective shots from the market. And, you know, talking about that, I just do want to do want to really hit really quickly that we are going to be together here in Nashville, um, mm-hmm. I guess, but a week and a half. Um, yeah, to be there um, for the American Health and Freedom Summit. Uh, and I'm also ha- hosting as part of that the American uh, Freedom Nurses Summit. So we're excited to be doing that again. We did it in Orlando and we'll be doing it again in Nashville. So if you don't have your tickets, uh, do go ahead and, and get online. Go to uh, the Wellness Revolution WorldTour.com and you can get tickets for that. And um, you can, if you use promo code SAVE20, you'll save 20% off general admission. And if you are in the Nashville or surrounding area, you can use promo code LOCAL and you will get a $25 general admission to all three days of the conference. So it's an incredible deal. And we would definitely love to see all of you. And one other thing I will mention, Cece, is that um, the bracelets that you guys have put out, if you want to talk briefly about those, because I know you're going to have those with you in Nashville. Yes, these are amazing. I wish I could take credit for the idea what one of the attorneys that is working on the Rendesivir class action suit against Gilead, we were thinking, how can we, first of all, save lives? Second of all, fundraise, because going up against Big Pharma 
takes a little bit of money and we don't want to, you know, take it from the victims because they've already lost everything. So we, she came up with the idea and I came up with the design, but it's a medical alert bracelet that says uh, allergic to remdesivir, barcinonym and fentanyl. So those are the main drugs that they will give you that are killing people in the hospital. And regardless if you have COVID, they're going to find a way to to give them to you because they're highly incentivized to use it. I heard from AJ DePriest the other day that the average um, amount that a hospital gets for using this certain COVID protocol is $266,000 a patient. Per per COVID admission, exactly right. And it was interesting, they tried to do this recently to my dad, they tried to put him on fentanyl, he did not have, well, he he went in in respiratory distress, but he is end-stage COPD. we wouldn't allow them to COVID test him because as soon as you, you know, get that positive test, it's like putting a bounty on their head. Um, yeah. So, and in, in, like I told them, I said, listen, whatever that test says, it's not going to change the treatment because we don't want any of the treatment you would give for COVID. We don't want the ventilator. We don't want the remdesivir, any of that protocol. Um, but he was in there, actually, he had pneumonia. He had a bacterial pneumonia. Um, and um, he was, unfortunately, he was vaccinated his his doctors uh, convinced him that that was what he needed to do. Um, so unfortunately he did get, I believe two of the shots. And then we had this bacterial pneumonia and then he ended up with a blood clot in his lung. So mm-hmm. um, so that's, you know, that's something that we're seeing all the time, but they were trying to give him CC fentanyl. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I lost my mind over this because number one, um, you wouldn't get this this drug, uh, fentanyl, it's um, a CNS, central nervous system depressant. It would depress respirations further. Why would you give this to somebody that is already in respiratory distress, right? Because you're only going to further depress their respirations. And it's like they were trying to make him end up on a ventilator. Exactly. Would get so, that extra bonus money. Exactly. And then they get the. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. They get the 20%, you know, a bonus if they give the remdesivir too. We had somebody that went in with, he was not sick at all. In fact, he was just intimate with his wife and caught the case of the hiccups. And he had done this before and he would go to the the ER and they'd give him a, a treatment. I don't know what it's called, but they um, said he had COVID and put him on remdesivir, kidney failure, ventilator, death. I mean, just, and we hear that all the time that we had a girl that went in the other day with a, with a urinary tract infection and it said, um, highly likely exposed to COVID. You know, they just put that in the records when she said that she wasn't exposed or she wasn't, you know, didn't have COVID symptoms just so they could, maybe if she is admitted, they can squeeze her in on on the protocol. So these bracelets are medical, legal medical directive. It's not enough to say, I don't want remdesivir. I don't want fentanyl. They'll do it anyway. But if, but if you're wearing a bracelet, that says I'm allergic to these drugs and people say, well, well, how do you know you're allergic? Well, you're allergic to kidney failure. You're allergic to death. Yeah. So, exactly. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you know, they're, they're toxic. Uh, remdesivir is a failed Ebola study drug that killed 53% of the patients had to be pulled from the study earlier. So the reason they're giving it to COVID patients, I don't understand, but we know that it does cause kidney failure and multi-organ failure and doesn't work. Um, probably 98% of our 700 cases got remdesivir and obviously did not work. And they all ended up with kidney failure and died from that and ventilation. 
Exactly. And I, I, will say, I think it's absolutely brilliant that whoever came up with the idea for the bracelets, um, they are brilliant. And I'm so glad that we are doing that. We will, you will have those at Nashville. So again, if you're able to make it out, uh, make sure that you go and see CC and the former Feds group and get one of these bracelets. It could very well save a life. Um, yes, and they're they're actually kind of stylish, and they're stainless steel and and silicone. So you can I've had mine on for four months. Looks brand new. It doesn't rust. It I sleep in it, swim in it, shower in it, and um, it's just a good peace of mind because if you were to get in a car accident or something and you're unconscious, they'll stick it in the hospital and say you have COVID and give you and both, but they can't give you these drugs if you're wearing this bracelet. Then they have no more immunity. Exactly. And, and and let's touch on the, the one of the other projects you're doing is the Halt Hospital Homicide. Now, I know that's a series of events across the country, you know, just to raise the awareness and uh, to support the victims. I was honored and thankful that uh, I was invited to speak out in San Antonio. And for me, it really was, it was such an incredibly powerful event. And, and during that, I was just, honestly, Cece, I was consumed with emotion during that event because you know, one of the widows was on the stage and she was talking about how nurses played a big role in that systematic murder of their loved ones. And she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. You know, these these government issued one size fits all death protocols. They've killed millions. They've killed millions. Hospitals have become killing fields and these ventilators. You know, I, I said this during my speech, they are the new gas chambers and this corrupt system has just shamelessly used its well-intentioned nurses to carry this out and i'm heartbroken about what this has done to nursing but tell me tell me a little bit more about these are do you have any more events planned or where are those going to be we had our first planning meeting for the second one um last week we'll have another planning meeting on friday but yeah we want to do them across the country as often as we can it, you know there's a lot of work uh, our first one we had 550 victims show up from across the country like i said before um, every state, even Alaska, people came from everywhere. All the victims had shirts made with their loved one's picture on the front. And it was just a sea of people that have been through the most horrendous suffering and, and crime that you can ever imagine. I mean, their loved ones were starved and dehydrated and restrained and isolated and died alone. I mean, just the stories will just just break your heart and to see all of them come together was amazing. You know, I, I tell them all the time because we have support meetings six nights a week for them to, to help them stay strong and get through this journey of grief that if there's anything that came out of this, that has been the least bit positive, it's the solid friendships that have been built on a mutual experience you know, it's, it's not like I met somebody at a restaurant and oh, we like the same movies. I mean, this this these people have spent, you know, a year online, you know, face to face in these support groups and to see them all meet in person for the first time. I mean, I, I was just I cried like 10 times that day. I saw yeah. you were in tears. You know, Dr. Artist yeah. was in tears. Yes. You know, to see all Tom of Renz. Yeah. It, it was, was so heavy. It was heavy. It was necessary, but it was hard. You know, it was really difficult. Yeah. And it was very, it was a very emotional weekend, but it was, it was like a beautiful devastation almost. It I mean, was. It, it was beautiful to all come together, but it was just so difficult to see the, uh, you know, just the culmination of all of, of, 
the death and devastation that we've seen and just have it all kind of showcased. I mean, we, we went around the room and looking at the, the pictures and the poster boards and it seemed endless. And, you know, I, I really had a hard time walking around and looking at the faces of these patients because those could have been any of the patients that I had in my hospital bed. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it really brought about a lot of those emotions that I, I truly haven't been dealing with and I really need to, um, but it's been, it was difficult to to face that again. So I do encourage, you know, a lot of the nurses to, you know, start talking about this more. I'd like to start a, a support group for nurses who have worked through the pandemic and who have, you know, since left because I know that so many of us are struggling. So I think that that is, you know, another thing that's going to be on my ever growing to do. I, I was about to say, don't give me a new project because I'll do it. <laughs> I know, right? Maybe that's something to work on together. <laughs> <laughs> at least we'll, you know, at least we'll have like just half the workload. Right, right. Because mm-hmm. the support meetings are so important. You know, like I said, we have yeah. them six nights a week. But, yeah. you know, a lot of these, they're most, a lot of widows and their houses are quiet. Their kids probably are grown. Some have little kids, but mostly um, are grown out of the house. So their house is quiet. Their beds are empty. The nighttime is really hard. So we have night owl groups um, on Friday and Saturday nights. That seems to be the hardest for the widows because they're, they're, their loved ones gone who they spent their weekends with and and it's just they can't sleep now so we'll I'll, I'll open the meeting about 10 eastern time and it'll go until the last person falls asleep and just just where they can talk and they can not be alone and then we have a soul care on thursdays which is great um it's led by a, a licensed therapist and a minister and she she lost her mom to the protocol and it's half bible study and then half practical tools for coping and then we have a men's only, we have a survivors only, we have a parents who lost children's group. We have um, the Monday mega meeting, which we usually have 100 to 150 people on with experts. We just have a lot of, a lot of the victims have said that the support groups is the one thing that they really appreciate the most. And I think it's just so important because I remember when I was going through my grief, yeah. I alienated myself and I didn't have the support. I mean, my people tried to support me, but I I wouldn't have it, but I didn't have the shared experience like these women do. You know, I, I was the only one that I knew that that had lost a child. So I didn't have like they do. They have more other widows that lost their husbands in the exact same way. So they're, they're real. I'm really, really proud of these of these of these family members and widows and victims because they've really come together and they're fighting as much as they're grieving. They're fighting back. Absolutely. It's like, you, you know, you have to find purpose in your pain. And mm-hmm. I think I, I see that happening over and over. And I've been in uh, these groups a couple of times and they are, they're very emotional and very heavy. And I will say, you know, God bless all of you who are doing this and, and making these groups and these resources available for these grieving family members because it's so necessary. And um, I, I, I would like to just say that all of this is done on a volunteer basis. None of you are compensated for the work that you do. And I know you personally, and I don't know about the others, but you personally put in, I know more than 60 hours a week of volunteer time just yeah. dedicated to this cause. And that's why I said in my introduction, you are die hard, Cece. And you know, I, I appreciate everything that you do in this fight and that everything that you do for these family members you're you're just such a blessing um and and i keep you in prayer because i know it cannot be easy to hear these stories over and over because it it wears on me it's hard 
to hear it over and over the death and the devastation it's and we carry that with us so i always keep you in prayer cc that you know you are able to 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 deal with this um and god has certainly positioned you and given you the strength to do so and we're so thankful for you oh thank you i mean i feel like I mean, it's, it's my purpose for the longest time after I did lose my daughter. I'm like, why did I go through this pain? Why could I have another child? And I, I know why now, because all these people, I understand their grief. I understand that you can't find the air to breathe sometimes that you just don't want to be here sometimes. And that you don't think you're going to get through it. But so I really want to be, you know, that person to say, look, you can, it's, it's very hard. I didn't, I felt the same way but you can get through it and we have a country to save and we have a healthcare system to repair. So our, the future generations, the kids, you know, that are just now being born or growing up will have a country like we had in the earlier days. And, you know, my, my grandfather was a fighter pilot in World War II and he was 18 and he had seven weeks of flight school before they put him up in that tin can of an airplane to go fly against the Japanese. And I said, if he can do that, then I can sit at my computer with my time and try to save this country too. Amen. There's so many different, you know, the tools and the resources that we have to be able to do exactly that, to, to sit here at, at our computer and just take our time. Um, you know, what, what would we be doing otherwise? Scrolling, uh, mindlessly scrolling our news feeds? Yeah, TikToking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's definitely, you know, we have the time and, and God bless, you know, we have the resources and the tools to be able to, to stand in this fight. Um, I do want to talk about uh, just, you know, we have just a few minutes left, but I want to make sure that we touch on uh, kind of a positive thing that has come out of all of this. We, the, the last group I want to talk about is the change makers, which is that group of attorneys. They meet every few weeks and they discuss some strategies and cases. And tell me about this case that you had that uh, just went to court and where and where it's going. Yeah, in the beginning, I was calling and I'm, of course, I'm tr always trying to find these victims attorneys so they can, you know, get the justice they need and deserve. And in the beginning, you know, I was calling attorney all day long. I was calling him and they were just getting COVID. Nope. Getting hung up on, hung up on, hung up on. And then I got some that, you know, are, are on the fence. They want to, but they're gun shy. You know, this is, we're in unprecedented water here and, and they want to, but they're not exactly sure. So I ran across this amazing attorney in California my uh, Matthew Tyson. And he started, he said, okay, send me all your cases. Well, we have probably 50 cases in California. So I was sending him, you know, 10 at a time in the beginning. And our first case that he, that one of the first cases that we sent him um, finally got up to the hearing for, to get past the prep act immunity. And it was just a big, I was so nervous the night before I was calling our founder, Brad, and I'm, and he's like, just prepare yourself. You know, they've got very broad immunity and, and you know, they'll we'll peel it, but it's, you know, you're, it's not going to be good. Yeah. So the next day I get an email from him saying we made it. And I was like literally screamed out loud. And um, so that case was strictly on um, not getting informed consent for using the drug remdesivir. Yeah. They said the prep act immunity does not apply. And they didn't, um, the, the judge said it's moving forward. So we're in discovery which is the, I can't even tell y'all the biggest news ever. Cause hopefully they'll set, will set a precedence. And now more attorneys are like, Oh, well, there is a way around this prep act. 
So now they're more coming forward. I and mean, we have two very godly attorneys. I adore Dan Watkins and Michael Hamilton yeah. that have literally given up everything to help victims fight these cases and focusing. They want to file cases in every state in the country, but they're of course going to need help um, with local attorneys doing the filing and, and fundraising. So we're trying, we're working with them very closely. They've picked up about 10 of our cases and, you know, things are, things are, starting to heat up in the legal arena. And I, I really feel confident that justice will be will be served at the end. Amen. And that's fantastic. And I, like I said, and I, I said this to attorney Dan Watkins. I said this to attorney Michael Hamilton as well. Um, you know, anything I can do or, you know, some of these nurses can do, we are willing to come out, provide testimony to what we witnessed at the bedside, anything that we can do to help. Um, we are all in. We are all in this fight with you guys. So, but that is such exciting exciting news and very promising um that to see that this is is moving forward and i've been saying this for a really really long time um that you know this the day of reckoning it's it's coming it is it's coming and unfortunately for many of uh these nurses you know and doctors you know i, I was just following orders is not going to suffice not to save them and it should not it no should. nuremberg tells us that it's not enough yeah you know they they've we're not a to be experimented on with our consent. We're not to be pushed deadly drugs without our consent or even told about them. It's completely, you know, against our constitutional rights and international law. And it's there. They can't just do what they want with us and say, Oh, we're going to have immunity. And there, there are loopholes. And besides the, the COVID immunity, then for the drugs and the protocols, they're being starved. They're being abused. They're being restrained. They're being, they're not given water for five to seven days. I mean, torture. They're literally tortured in the hospital. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not, we're certainly not going to, we're not going to tolerate that any longer. No. Cece, thank you so much for being here with me today. That's really all the time that we have. Um, but I'm going to have you on again soon and we can talk because again there's just there's definitely so much more that's going to be going to be happening and we'll be thrilled to have you on again cc thank you so much thank you for having me absolutely and that's all the time that we have for today friends but remember we are here on the air five days a week monday through friday at 10 a.m eastern with a different nurse host daily you can also catch the encore at 11 p.m eastern standard time please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses as we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until then, be safe, be well, and God bless. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts and videos so we can help secure America's future. Tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as I hand off the baton to Nurse Michelle. We are in a war for the truth and we're putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Join us weekdays, different nurses daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time.